Yep. There he is. That's right. It's that time again, kids. Right. So, uh, you don't have any birds out the window. You were remarking earlier, what's the animal of choice that's in flight near your view? Mm, July bugs. Mm. Would you like to translate? That's what my smart aleck friends call them, because you never see them in June. They're called June bugs. Not to be confused with Japanese beetles. Much larger, and not a nuisance that I'm aware of. Do you think people come that people think we come across as um, always correcting people? Maybe at times. I, seem, I, I feel like I do that a lot. Now. Maybe I shouldn't do it as much. But stuff just gets on my nerves. I like people to be educated and use the right words. Because when you're talking about June bugs, they do look like Japanese beetles. But I've heard a lot of people call Japanese beetles June bugs. And I've also had a lot of people... I have a lot of outdoor barbecues and camping trips and stuff. So I'm around outdoor bugs a lot with friends. Mm-hmm. But you know those little brown bugs, little brown beetles? I've heard people call them June bugs. <laughs> I'm like, nope. And I've heard people call those Japanese beetles. I'm like, nope. We call the brown bugs ear bugs. Because when I was a kid, my mom, who was on a camping trip, um, told us that they would get in your ears. And you better zip up your tent at night or the brown beetles will get in your ears. And ever since then, they've terrified me. <clears throat> but anyway, oh, you'll today love we this. have June bugs everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. June bugs. The genus Philophaga which is probably pronounced wrong because this is not my study. Mm-hmm. Uh, also maybe called, you, you get ready. This is going to just set you off even more. May beetle. <laughs> it's going the wrong way. <laughs> they don't come out until July in the South at least. Oh, it says or June bug, which I find that weird that that's the two terms that Britannica chose to have. What does it say? May beetle? Yeah, may beetle or June bug. All right, about July creature Japanese beetle. <laughs> July, July fly. There you go. Crane flies is another one I think we've talked about. They mm, are uh, mosquito hawk is its nickname. Them, yeah, mosquito hawk. Our people call them. What do they call them? Mosquito. I've heard people call them mayflies. I've heard them call all kinds of things. Uh, it's not a mayfly. Nope, it's not. It's a crane fly right. or a mosquito hawk. But unfortunately. They do not eat mosquitoes like everyone thinks they do. As one could tell just by curiously studying its nose. Mm-hmm. Some people think they're male mosquitoes. They're not. They are large, and they do look a lot at a glance, or you could think with a kid's mind, if you will. They do look like a blown-up version. Like They've got to be in the same family, genus, or whatever that you biology people put stuff in. <laughs> I mean, they look identical, just gigantic. But you've never found one light upon you and pierce your skin and make Nobody it. Nobody ever has. No. They might light upon you, but that's just them flying around. It is true that only female mosquitoes suck your blood. They are, um, as soon as a mosquito bites you, they are biting you, and then they go plan to lay eggs. Hmm. Like, immediately. So if you kill one that's biting you, you are lowering the mosquito population. What about cicadas? I think cicadas are across the country this year, at least some of them. There's the annual cicadas, and then there's the 14-year and the 12-year and the I feel like that's, the different uh, broods. You were supposed to bring it, I think, to us this time because we you, you'd opened, I believe, with that before in music. We were <laughs> chatting about uh, weather and time of the year, and cicadas came up. and Still not here. I haven't seen any. Told people. They think, oh, we're going to get the cicadas. I'm like, nope, not, not, not down here. We're not. Maybe the annuals. Anyway. 
What about you? Yeah, but oh, there goes a squirrel running by. For anybody who's wondering, um, squirrels and, and uh, I haven't noticed the June bugs or May beetles. June bugs yet. Wonder where they come out in May. Like I imagine that, I mean, this is a larval farming thing. <laughs> they don't get much more southern than this. I mean, you do, but <laughs> today we're from the Keys. <laughs> the equator. We're in Mexico. I don't guess Mexico is even the equator. Where does it run through Brazil and South America? Mm, say sounds right. I'm going to say a little bit further north, maybe in that Middle America area. Hmm. Central America, middle. Always been curious about June bugs. Always heard about people tying string to their legs, but I never had a like, string that would work. I only had like rope or <laughs> like that thick construction string. I don't know what it was used for in construction, but felt like my granddad was always building something, a building or a porch or a sidewalk. So we always had that string. I guess it was used for leveling or framing or I remember him tying it to stakes and yeah, hammering it in the ground. I guess that lets you know the line across, the level line across. Well, I've done it. Um, I don't know how many times, but in my less than 10-year-old range of being <laughs> on a family farm, my relative's uh, great aunt in particular, she... Uh, Showed me how to do that, catch one, and tie it on its leg. I doubt I was very successful at tying at that age, but she would tie one on for me, and there you go. Got a pet on a string. I guess I never was able to. Of course, I wasn't very good at tying knots. I wasn't the king of tying knots, that's for sure. Well, you could probably tie a knot, just not one intended to get out, right? Yeah, and I don't know that I could have tied it around a beetle leg. <laughs> just like, eh. It's like I always looked Barbie, like it was going to stick me. Right. They're pretty uh, harmless, other than they will, they uh, do have pretty good feet, legs, or whatever. They they do stick to you very easily. I was never a huge fan of bugs, any kind of bug, really. I was never super scared of them, but I never was like, hey, bugs, let's dig it up and hold it. Or my sister, she would bring home all kinds of stuff, and she'd go put them in the bathtub and like, look at them and... One time she caught some giant, crazy, mutant cockroach and brought it in the house. It was in the tub. I remember my grandmother going in there and finding it. And What have you brought home this time? I never was curious about insects. They're interesting to look at in books and on screens. And I, I kind of enjoyed doing the insect project where you had to catch so many and right. identify them and take it to school. And I mean, half of them I got from a friend that did it the year before, and I just restuck them on my board, but... That was kind of interesting, but not super interesting to me. The curiosity involved with that didn't drive you? Yeah, it was interesting. I remember the first time, or I remember learning about insects, how they have different stages, how they're not just like little baby beetles that grow up to be big beetles. They're like, you know, they have larvae and nymph stage, and not all are the same, you know, and that was always wild. I was like, wow, so it's just like Alien. They're like larvae, like aliens. It's like, oh, we have little aliens on Earth. Have you ever heard of the uh, YouTube channel Brave Wilderness? Mm, I don't know it by heart. I don't know if I've seen it, but do indulge. Oh, I'm going to guess uh, one guy who has at least, well, sometimes he might just have one camera guy with him, but sometimes it's two. Um, anyway, his name is Coyote something. Yep. 
Watched him the other day. He always gets bit all the time. Yeah, I was going to suggest for anybody who is curious about insects, it's a fascinating show, not very long, very kid-friendly. In fact, my 12-year-old yesterday, we were sitting down for lunch. We're like, all right, I'll give you control. What do you want to watch? And he is uh, very hesitant to give answers to things. (laughs) Maybe it's just the age, but come on, just give me an answer. YouTube. You know, I was going to some other, you know, Shark Fest on Nat Geo or something. No, no, no. Shark Week. Yeah. yeah. Well, Nat Geo now has their version of that called the Shark Fest, which is, oh. that was going to work for me just to have something to watch while we had lunch. Um, and he said, I don't know, the dude, Coyote, and he named his last name, search on YouTube, and it'll come up. I'm like, oh, okay. I had no idea where we were going, and ended up watching it for probably two hours. They're really short oh. episodes, and it was... Uh, yep. There's I watched a, his lizards lizard episodes the, the other day. There are several different subtypes. Like he has tidal pools and desert animals mm-hmm. and all. And I believe he probably lives in Arizona or somewhere near it because he seems like it had a lot of focus in that area. But if you're curious at all about insects, it's particularly dangerous ones. Have you watched the ones where he gets stung? Mm-hmm. He's trying to do the most deadly or the most painful ones. Yeah, I think he's finished. He did them all, the cow killer and all that stuff. I watched that and the tarantula hawk. I don't know that he's done the bullet ant yet. I assume he has, but the way the YouTube app is on my television, it's just kind of the random. It didn't necessarily stay in the exact same trend. So I watched a lot yeah. of things he did, but I never got to or never stopped it to search it out for that bullet ant. But uh, looking at his uh, response from those things... I find that interesting. I've always been curious about anything on the planet my entire life, but I don't know that I would want to be stung. Although there there might have been a time mm. in my life where I would have, because I can kind of see where he's going. I mean, he's doing this from an educational teaching point of view, but it's also a little bit of a daredevil thing, which right. usually kind of goes along with being curious. What stingings have you had? What what have you experienced? Oh, red wasp. Mm, I've never had a red wasp, thank goodness. Black wasp, honeybee, bumblebee, and not the carpenter Dang, bee. Because I don't want to get into that whole carpenter bees don't have Do carpenter bees sting? No, or they bite? but they look, they I'm going like to say identical to the bumblebee. So they're, I, just all, they're just bigger. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, had a, I don't know that some people know the difference. But we're talking about a carpenter bee. It's what some people call a bumblebee, but they they bore into wood and they you see them on wood building. They mess up your trim on your house. And they're gigantic. If you but have a wooden mailbox, they destroy anything. mine or not yep. the post rather. Whereas bumblebees are quite smaller, but they look similar. Right. They're kind of, a bumblebee kind of looks like a fat honeybee. Right. Black, yellow, and black band, yeah. which just like the carpenter bee, like you said, albeit a little bit smaller. What about ants and insects? Uh, fire or ants. Spiders, arachnids. I've, I've had the fire ants bite like he had that. I think that was his beginning one as the top five. He started at five with fire mm-hmm. ants. Now, he, I've only had like three, four, five. He had like his whole hand covered in them. Mm-hmm. And it's what it showed is what I experienced as well. I mean, I didn't have the swelling or edema that he had because I only had like three or four on my ankle or between my toes or whatever it was. But it's not pleasant, but it's nowhere near a bee sting. About a spider bite or a scorpion? Mm, nope. I had a good friend in middle school got stung by a scorpion. He lived mm. in the more mountain terrain area of my home county, 
And I remember, yeah, he did come to school today. You know, there's no cell phones or anything back then. So I no way to know till I got home from school and I called him like, hey, you missed you at school today. What happened? Because, well, I got up this morning. I felt something on my foot. You know, you're laying there still in bed before you have to get up and get ready. You know, you, you just, sometimes you just get like a feeling and there's really nothing there. You know, maybe just thinking your body's just waking yeah. up and he like swiped at it or whatever and pow, right on the ankle. Mm. Scorpion. Mm. How far north do scorpions go? They go all the way up to like Virginia or past that, or are they are they in New England? Are they in Ohio, for instance? Or are they only? I'm gonna guess the, you're gonna reach too cold of a climate. I'm by no means an entomologist, but I don't know that I've heard of them being too far north. I didn't know that they were in eastern Tennessee. I knew they were in West Tennessee, where it's drier and flatter. I've never seen one in Middle Tennessee. I don't think I've seen, seen them in one. Georgia, like centipedes and stuff. Apparently, those hurt the common house centipede that looks the, like the scariest creature ever. It, um, <laughs> Something out of Alien is now in your yeah. backpack. I didn't know that was a common house centipede. Like I thought, centipedes we had as a kid just looked like centipedes. You know, they weren't. They didn't look like those things. Like a camel cricket mixed with an alien on you know, Sigourney Weaver. But apparently, those will bite the crap out of you. But they're relatively harmless. They eat bugs, other bugs. And there's a centipede and a millipede, and yeah. I'm pretty sure one of those won't bite you. I don't know. I've, there's so many exceptions, and I watch <laughs> too many. There needs to be a disclaimer at the beginning of this. These <laughs> too many coyote, what what's his talking name about. videos? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this bites you, and this will mess you up. It's like, I don't know if we have poisonous frogs or not around here, do we? I don't know. Do we? I mean, and how many types of venomous snakes are there? Three in the south? I mean, I don't know. Rattlesnakes and cottonmouths. Copperhead. Copperheads. Well, I've had honeybee and a yellow jacket sting and a type of spider. I don't know what kind it was. They were worried it was a brown recluse, but since I felt it bite me and it hurt, um, it ended up not being one. I think that's it. I've never been bitten by a snake. I've never had a scorpion. I've been bitten by non-venomous insects just, you know, just to bite you. A carpenter ant bit me one time, and they're not, you know, they don't have venom, I don't think. It just hurts. Right. Those big black ants, whatever those are, maybe those are carpenter ants that have those bit me. But yeah. never did one biting me make me want to be more curious about one that would hurt worse. Like no, that guy. no. It's like, no, it's enough. Yeah, the the pain that you watch him go through, mildly entertaining, definitely informational. I might want to be there with someone doing this, but I don't know that I've, I don't know. There, There is, I'm saying no, but there is this dumb part of my brain that is... <laughs> really curious so uh you know you know if you got medical yeah. staff you got an epi pen i don't know i might <laughs> i will say this I definitely as a young person you know preteen on through maybe college uh i did have that idea of if you experienced xyz then it would prepare you for something greater in life does that make sense like if you had mm -hmm. a, a as dumb as it sounded i remember thinking Man, if, if you ever were shot or stabbed, then a migraine headache wouldn't be a big deal. <laughs> as dumb as that <laughs> sound, it thought like, oh, there would be like an added benefit to having lived through that. But by no means would I create the YouTube channel <laughs> to say, well, all right, yeah, I'm going to shoot myself in the hand, folks. Let's see but, how bad it is. But I think there is a market for that type of curiosity out there. Like, I know there's different types of curiosity, and I don't know what this kind this falls into, but... I am curious about it, and I would rather someone else describe it to me. And that guy does a pretty good job, or he tries to, in his agony, telling you if it's throbby or pain, you know, or like a cramp feeling or a sting in general. 
Um, but I am interested to see how they rate the different ones, and I like to see what it does to before and after, like the bite and all that. And he also, on some of them, when he gets bitten, he does like a circle around the red, lets you show how it it grows out around his hand and up his arm, which all that is interesting. It does cure a little little bit of curiosity in my brain as well. The one he had uh, some kind of desert centipede, so definitely not what we're used to seeing around here because this was much larger and had pretty nasty-looking mandible, um, which has some kind of uh, venom. And, and it looked to be, it looked to be more painful, but I don't know. I didn't necessarily stack them back to back to, and he didn't necessarily comment because it wasn't part of that whole um, stinging thread that he was doing with those three top insects. It looked like it was worse, but the thing he did that I'm curious about is he had the, I don't know what he called it, the devenomator or something. Basically it was like a <laughs> syringe with a suction cup on the end. And uh, he like wiped it clean and with the alcohol wipe, and then asked one of his cameramen to put that on there to suck the poison out. I don't know if that's recommended. And I, w- I don't think that that's real. I thought, yeah, I thought that was an old wives' tale. Like you're not supposed to do that anymore. At, like that was what they did, and you got snake bit in the right. waist. But and I've read it does nothing <laughs> just because, like you being outside and outdoors so much, the chance of being around these things. Uh, you know, whatever it may be, usually snakes is what we're thinking of, that the recommended sort of wilderness medicine current is not any kind of suction. And if you think about, you know, from our, you know, background and education, once you pierce something and, and this fluid goes in, you may draw fluid out because literally there was some fluid that came to the surface mm-hmm. of his three punctures. I don't think that's venom. There might that's be right. some in it, but I think it's already... If you think about uh, it's diffused all throughout, uh, how I'm trying to explain something sometimes, just about, for example, hydration. I'm explaining it to people that are just they get it. Obviously, everybody knows to stay hydrated, but think from the top of your head to your feet, you're nothing but stacked BBs of made out of water. Your cells, in other words, obviously they're smaller than BBs. But if you just think about the cellular makeup of all the tissue and everything, I don't know that you can get back that venom. It's already gone into every, right. every little channel that it can find, and you're you're just sucking out some fluid that's probably starting from the edema from the leaky blood vessels as a reaction to that. But I don't know. I'd be curious to know if you could draw that out and analyze it. Like, what is this here? I'm going to guess extra you're probably getting fluid. some, but yeah, it's, it's just a waste of time. It's like if you dump salt in a drink, you can't just. Take a suction cup and suck it out. Like exactly. Be, yeah, you'll be sucking stuff out, but right. You're not. That's the thing. I, th- I don't oh, think a little bit's better than none. I don't. I don't know that it, it is. I mean, I don't. I think that's the part where we kind of lose looking at our skin and, and know that we're made of bone. We also think we're just stacks of stuff and not really a stack of like a chemistry set. Because like you said, with the coke or tea or whatever, once you inject something into a soup, you're not changing the stew. It's just what it is now. And I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of getting into smaller and smaller particles and just how it, all that works. That's that's mind-blowing to me. Like, you keep going down to get the basic physics. It's like, nope, all right, enough of this because everything is fake. We live in a simulation. <laughs> a, a simulation, that's the answer. <laughs> so in, in, in our uh, focal point for the day, which should, I guess, be... Not, uh, not insects? No, not as much as it sounds, although it, that that's... You know, one of many subjects that falls under this, curiosity, would you consider yourself a curious child? Oh, yeah. I always wanted to know why, why, why. If I couldn't get an answer from a person, I would try to 
figure it out on my own or I would come to conclusions through experiment, whatever that might have might have been. So just in case somebody's just grabbing this episode, um, what would you say, whether you want to be exact, or whatever, how would you stage the years of your life as far as on a timeline? Did you grow up in this era to that era? Because I got a question that's relevant. Or I'll just ask it and then you can say a response. What would you have given for the Internet as a child? Because I, oh, I grew up from, you know, grade school age to being 1980 to graduating in 92, just to put it all in relative terms. There was no Internet. I had a world book encyclopedia, and I flipped through them often. Me I would, too. We had old ones. Like, I grew up in the 80s. Well, I was a, a small child in the 80s. Um, and we had like 1965 edition of world book. It was more of an antique thing my grandparents had. But I would that was all we had. Um, my dad finally got a set, I think in the nineties, but by then, you know, I was teenager and computers were starting to come around. Um, but man, I would have, I would have always been Googling, what is this? What is that? And who knows, maybe that might have, and you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why, um, kids aren't going out and, um, being outside as much because they have the internet. They can just look on that all day and, 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 it entertains their curiosity. Whereas I had to go out in the woods and like, just figure it out. Okay. Well, why does this do that and dig it up and look at this bug. And what if I do this to the bug? Oh, he didn't survive. Well, <laughs> let's not do that to that bug again. Right. Um, and just talking about but, bugs, not necessarily to keep yeah. our insect theme, but we, you were talking about the different stages of bugs and we're talking about the maybe beetle June bug, this and the other. I would imagine had I been on the planet at a much further back in time, I on initial blush would have been like, oh, that's this kind of bug, and then that's another kind of bug, when in fact it's the stages of the exact same thing, which would have been oh, yeah. like mind-blowing discovery whenever that was. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, I knew what a grub worm was because we would fish with them, but I don't think I ever knew that they were like the larval stage of something else until... I mean, I guess they teach you that in first, second grade in the eighties. I don't remember, but it still really never well, was something I. The slang term about. just gets reinforced: grub worm, grub worm, which makes it just sound right, like it's not that's, really a worm. That's just what they are, you know. Yeah. There's a whole team of them. There's a planet of grub worms that live under our soil, mm-hmm. and that's just what they are. And there's more than just one. Like if I think if I asked you, well, what is a grub worm? What is the what is it the larval form of? Well, there's some kind of beetle. Of them. Like, <laughs> that would yeah, be my so. generic answer. <laughs> Yeah, because our most larval stages of flies, like they almost look like worms, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah. But God, I would have been on the internet constantly wanting to know things, because um, I was all infinitely curious. As were my friends. Now um, we always wanted to know what was this and that. That begs the next question: Do you or did you know anybody who wasn't? Um. It seemed like. Or is everybody curious, and this is just more of one of those, think, uh, what do they call it, spectrum things, where there's not a, a absolute no, but it's it's just you have more or less grades of it, if you will. I think that is that is you have less, more and less grades of it, and some people are curious about, curious about different things. Like, I had a bunch of girl cousins growing up, and they didn't seem to be, and they were older, though, too, a little bit than I, they didn't seem to be as curious about things as I was. And then I had some, um, I did have a bunch of boy cousins too that I only saw in the summertime um, that lived in North Carolina. And they weren't always curious about the same things I was. They were curious about things, but it was more, Just I don't different know, like subjects. 
yeah, like I was more curious in the science of things or like the nature of things or why does this river do that and why do bugs live here and why, you know, why is this and that. Whereas they were more like curious about, um, and to some extent I wish I was, more like, well, why do you, like how do you build a house? Like what is, <laughs> you know, and I got curious at that later, but at first I was more curious about just the world in general, nature. like nature and things, yeah. Right. And they were more curious about carpentry and, uh, and you know, being able to put down shingles at a certain, you know, the way you're supposed to do it. And I found that interesting, but it just didn't keep my attention because it entailed labor and work, which any little kid doesn't really, it's hard to get them to do stuff like that. And again, they were older. I was a younger one. How would you define curiosity? Uh, I would say it is a desire to learn something that you don't know. Or so you have to be, I guess you have to, Realize you don't know something and want to know the answer to it. Dictionary.com says a strong desire to know or learn something. Or the second definition is strange or unusual object or fact. Which this is... I don't think it has to be strange. Unless strange, the definition of... I guess the definition of strange isn't necessarily weird. Right. Strange is just... Non-familiar. Yeah, non-familiar. Weird implies that it's... Not unfamiliar, but it is unfamiliar, but it's different than the norm. Right. And we can get into definitions all day long, but what about you? Like, I know you consider yourself curious. We've talked about it before, um, being members of the Dead Cat Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you always <laughs> this, that way, and are you still? Um, I th- you know, this goes back to those things about you don't know. Unless you talk to someone about a specific thing, that is, and by that I mean uh, an internally viewed subject or a personal trait, until you've ever really discussed it with somebody else, you you have only one fixed view of that, and that may be where part of this is jaded. And that I consider myself one of the most curious people I know, and I think that also it feeds into a lot of things. It feeds into your willingness to learn. It feeds into um, education and how maybe even you do learn. It also feeds into things like what appear maybe attention deficit kind of things where mm-hmm. you might. And overly curious feeds into that. Right. And underly curious is like a depression. Right. And somewhere in the middle, which is probably healthy as a lot of things are right in the middle, you're able to like just stay on track. But I remember countless occurrences in my education from grade school through graduate school that. I wanted to ask questions all the time and probably did early on until at some point in time you figure out that's not what the norm is. Even though everybody in the room may be that same curious, the the herd wants to get out of the class. And eventually most people, not everybody, but most people kind of, you know, squash their curiosity just not. But at times it was overwhelming. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang, hang on. Sometimes I would wait to opportune times. Sometimes I would interrupt, and I apologize for any previous educators of me who are listening to this. It was not out of pure rudeness, although it might have been. It is just the, I mean, to the point, it just makes me physically uncomfortable, mm-hmm. not like nauseated, but like, oh, I, I, I have to know this because. I, yeah, I would. It affects how things go in my head. Like there's an order and a sequence that my brain is like engulfing information. And then when there's like a branch off rabbit trail, I kind of need to know a little bit about that trail to know where to go forward with the angle that you have, even though that may not be the purpose. I would always be battling that as well. Like you, I would try to wait until after class to ask something or I make a note. But if understanding something, um, 
was crucial to going forward, I would have to stop and be like, well, what do you mean? And go into where some people just accept, uh, some people would just accept things. Some for people face are value. good recorders. And I was right. not a good recorder. I think that is the different ways that people learn. And also I wasn't a good recorder. So therefore sometimes I wouldn't always perform as to my understanding on an exam. Now, what I mean is I don't want to say that I'm not a good test taker. And I believe that does exist. I'm not trying to minimize that. But what I'm saying is when I know something forwards and backwards, I can carry on about it all day long. I think I can explain it to the smartest person in the world or to the most difficult to explain to person in the world if they're willing to listen. Because I will paint analogies and create different ways to explain anything if I have an understanding of it. If I don't have an understanding of it, I'm just repeating to you the information that I know. And then it clicked (laughs) at about after graduation, some point in time, like, oh. That's how some of these people could do what they do on exams with vast amounts of information. There's nobody that understands everything and some of these swaths. You know, you have a notebook full of things you've got to consume. They, quote, know it, meaning they can puke it back and fill in the answers, whether it's multiple choice or type K or whatever type yeah, question really it is. What saying. But they yeah. don't have an inside-out understanding. I, it's almost a stumbling block to me to learn it because I will come across a new concept or something, and I'm like, all right, now I've got to pause that learning, and i got to go get into the definitions of the history of this thing. Not forever. Sometimes it turned into forever. but And then got back to it. I would have it down. Right. Like I I um, <clears throat> was much more successful in subjects that required conceptual understanding, like, say, organic chemistry or math calculus where you had to actually understand an idea and if you understood the idea you could do any chemistry problem or solve any chemistry thing if you understood the underlying um, principles and concepts so i always did well in those classes because i took the time to understand it where just just memorizing like i would you know like biology i mean you, there are concepts to understand in biology but to me it was just memorizing information it was boring to me it wasn't interesting so i didn't perform as well i mean i didn't i mean i got b's and stuff in in those classes but i didn't you know i didn't wasn't outstanding i wasn't like an outstanding student and it was just you know push the pencil learn the stuff just regurgitate it because you have to Um, which is another thing i ran across in curiosity and successful learning is to be interested in something um you you really have to be interested to learn it to, to activate the proper the proper channels in your brain to make you learn something and so teachers and educators try to make students curious about things, so therefore they will learn it better. And that just seems like a tough challenge. Like I don't that that I don't is how you can make someone talent. interested in something. That that talent to create interesting content or something that piques questions in in the listeners' minds. I think we're in a day and time. Maybe it's because of attention deficits of the populace and and or all the media we have that it's creates more restless listeners or students or whatever, whether you're talking about a teacher, a preacher, a professor somewhere, I think because information is available. So mm-hmm. it's not just about getting the information about whatever the subject is. It's about creating, I don't like to use the word narrative because that gets used in so many social media, political things now, but it is kind of like creating a story in your lesson that maybe 
pulls on a memory or pulls on something that then ties into the facts of whatever the situation are or examples of are great ways to explain things and not just blah, 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 blah. But here's an example of what metamorphosis is instead of just like saying a definition. So talking about curiosity and the over, the over, um, whatever activity of it being related to ADHD, um, that, that sparkled a little huh, in my brain. So what if children now, and, and it's been around now for a good 20 years, I'd say, the availability of the Internet to look up whatever they want when they're curious, what if that is leading to more cases of ADHD because they can go and get the answer immediately and just continue getting answer, 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 and they're not learning or experiencing it like other generations did where you just you had to find it slowly, and sometimes you just have to never find the answer and you kind of have to learn how to be content with that or just come up with your own solution based on, you know, anecdotal stuff. Um, but now that you have the internet and you can just find whatever you want. I wonder if that is leading to more cases of ADHD or why people are developing differently because they can get that instant answer without having to do it the way mankind has always done it before, or at least for the most part. That's, that's, that's something I would like to look into or if somebody knows the answer to that that's that seems interesting to me what are your thoughts a very similar thought and question that i have had with the information age and that is what does having everything at your fingertips do for curiosity i don't i would originally thought that this can't be stifled but maybe there is something that I can't see here in terms of how the human brain develops that because that's not I could my see it forte. creating anxiety also like you start realizing there's all this out there and it's too much for some people to handle. I could see it leading to more cases of anxiety too, which I did read seems that to be just where, super prevalent. Um, an, an extremely curious person t- can border on being uh, very anxious and or dealing with anxiety quite a bit. And oh, you did read that, or I yes, thought you said, did it? I did. Oh, okay, well, and I also okay. found that uh, people who have not like a debilitating form of anxiety, but who do just say experience anxiety to whatever level. Like I am also, I'm sure I mentioned before, you know, a little bit of worry, worry work. I don't, it does not hamper my life or anything, but there are things that run through my mind often. And maybe whatever that conveyor belt is in the mind where curiosity yeah, lives. I would say worrying and curiosity are hand in hand. two lanes of the same freeway. I do too. Yeah. Because I think the people in life who tend to worry less I think there are people in the world who are able to just do tasks. And I'm talking all levels of tasks, all levels of, you know, success in life. And they're able just to see problems, find fixes, move forward and continue all their daily routines and habits and maintain a healthy life and don't question anything. And I'm not saying that like it's like a bad thing. I'm just saying it observationally. And then there's those of us who just wonder and wonder and wonder now, as long as that's not leading to like a uh, paralyzing anxiety or anything, I consider it extremely healthy. Tend, yeah, for d- sure. Tend to be willing to get into something that I know just from several of our talks, you are mildly put off by people who are not willing to stretch. And curious people are definitely willing to stretch. Taste buds, mm-hmm. experiences, whatever that may be, that usually goes hand in hand with being curious. And it's hard for me to imagine or put myself in those people's, 
I just don't see how you could be that way. Like not be like a wonder ab- about things. Yeah, just okay. Well, there's this, and just man. I mean, I don't want to call anybody unintelligent, but I wonder how. And if if there is a true way to measure intelligence, which you know we haven't gotten into the IQ thing, I don't think yet, um, on any any episode. I wonder how they relate to curiosity and intelligence gener- intelligence in general. Like it, the people I have known who were not curious about things were also not the you know the brightest tool in the toolbox either. Um, so I don't I don't know if that's normal or if that's how it is in general, but. Yeah, and I don't know if one leads to the other or if it's just maybe they share a certain kind of gene area, if you will. Just happy with whatever, and they don't ever, they don't want to expand or you know learn new things. It's just you know, just sitting in <clears throat> I don't know, like sitting in their one little one room cabin up in the woods. I mean, <laughs> that their granddaddy built back in nineteen hundred. I mean, I don't how they don't want to, you know, get out and see the rest of the world or, you know, just just learn more about what's around them in general. I just, I can't fathom being that way. Like, I don't, I, it doesn't necessarily make me mad. It just, it like you said, it's, it's, it's a little it's bit of jealousy like, for me because I, I'm more like, yeah, I'm more like curious at why they're not curious. Like, how, how do you turn that off? How are you just sit there and be, I mean, there are days where I'm content to, to you know, you just said it. To, yeah, just to lay in a pool or something, or you know, sit on the and watch YouTube. But I'm, you know, I'm usually even when I'm doing that, I'm like looking at things and wondering about things. I don't always feel content, and that's kind of a life journey I'm on is to try to how to be content in all areas of life. And just us talking today has helped me realize mm, maybe unattainable because of my <laughs> never-ending curiosity which actually gives me a little bit of relief not to still try for things in the content department, but curious. I I don't know that you, I don't know. These are just two minds and two voices talking. So there's definitely things that we can't uncover because all we are is us, but it definitely seems that if you have a great amount of contentment in your life, there's a chance that, and well, let's pause for a second. Maybe they are curious, but maybe they've already figured out that you have to stifle a certain amount of that to maintain yeah. contentment. So that may be a little a overreaching for us to say, eh, they just don't have curiosity. Because in some of the reading and kind of dwelling on this, I've thought, all right, you could probably be a uh, you know average curious person as you or I and grow up and you just have gone into by your own choices of a busy life. And I know everybody says their life busy, but we can all think about everybody we know and somebody's busier than another. If you have just enough going on, and this is definitely stages of life. I think that changes as children leave home, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're busy enough, it's possible that you just don't have time to wander too much. And, and, right. and I think that's also a bad thing when people don't let their brain just like shh, chill out and whether that's do nothing in their brain in the pool or wonder about the sun above you while you're in the pool. I think that busyness also can stifle some curiosity that you just literally have your mind on the things of your immediate life or your family's life or the future that you don't pause enough to foster that yeah. curious kid. I know a lot of busybodies who are, are a couple of busybodies who are that way. Who they're always going. And I just wonder, I think they satisfy their curiosity in different ways. Um, because I think they are a little bit, but 
if we're talking about just people who I don't know, they just don't seem to be curious to me. I don't. I just. I don't. I don't know. But we've we've talked about on here before. Or I feel like we have about things like I'm curious about everything. But if it is a subject that I know is way over my head, I I would. I still want to learn about it, and I still want to know. But I would know it would take like a long time to master that subject or that thing like let's say quantum mechanics or you know stuff like that or you know string theory i'm still interested in it but i know that i don't have the time to invest in it so i'll watch things here and there on youtube and i'll look at little you know short articles but i won't try to master it like whereas if it's something that i'm curious about that i think is in the realm of my computing power um personally I will kind of try to figure it out and go, you know, okay, well, I think I can do this. Let's figure it out and let's see if I can master this, whether it's a skill or just a subject I can just learn about and just think about in my head. But if it's too much, then I kind of realize that's more, I can't bite that much off. Like I know I won't be able to chew it, so I'll just let it sit there. And then maybe one of these days, and so maybe some people, maybe they don't have confidence in themselves or maybe they know their own limitations, don't try to conquer things that they know they won't ever have a grasp on or at um, least right now my example right, so of that put is the off. answer to a question you've had for me more than once and when we have the general space talks and i feel like first and foremost i need a good 3d model in my mind for just our solar system and mm-hmm. the planets and the uh, sun and our moon and i don't have that I'm not ignorant of it, but literally, like, in my mind's eye, like a 3D representation. Like, have you ever thought about all the planets, you know, all nine of us, or eight, whatever we're doing with that Pluto thing, and they're all in orbit around the sun. Are they in the same plane? Yes. Yeah, I had that pointed out to me the other day, and in my mind's eye, you know, the uh, general symbol for an atom with electrons Mm -hmm. flying around it, I just thought Mm -hmm. it would probably look like that. Not not just because I'd never had delved into that at all. And then it was pointed out to me, yeah, it's all on the same plane. I'm like, ooh, this is now <laughs> this is now starting to pick away at the curiosity scab because I just have a challenge with like three dimensional seeing mm-hmm. things. Like I think decorating a house or something like that is just like uh, my wife is an expert at this. She can see where things go in terms of a taste thing as well as three dimensionally. And I'm like, yeah. I'd literally need to see a few homes <laughs> set up with this and other. Now, I right. can modify things, but to go from scratch, I, I, that's just maybe that's why I can't draw. Maybe it's that same part of the brain that's lacking. I think maybe the the outer planets aren't necessarily in 100% in the same plane, but for the most part, all eight of them are. The latest thing, this is just, I know I know what you're saying. Um, I, I hear you, but you've, you, know, you know I'm infinitely curious about space, so I love to share everything I learn like i'm thoroughly upset that i missed the neil wise comment like i don't think it's we can see it anymore it was available it was in june of 2020 that you could or july of 2020 where you could see it and we are past for about five days yeah it was about five you could see it in the evening at about 10 or 15 degrees but it started in the morning and that of course yes, goes what back I meant. to mornings yeah geography of and then it was evenings southeast yeah. uh united so. states so I was upset I missed it. I'm pretty sure you can't see it now. Right. Um, but the latest, some of the latest studies that are studies, or, you know, not studies, but uh, I always use studies because we always say that in the <laughs> medical field. But the, some of the latest papers and theories 
you know, I've always talked about Planet X since I was a kid. It was the 10th planet. Of course, now it will be the ninth one. Um, but Lord some of the Plato. latest theories are showing that this, mysteri- this mysterious Planet X or whatever, this extra planet that should be out there mathematically, might not be a planet at all. It may be a grapefruit-sized black hole circling around Ooh. our sun. Um, which, you know, immediately people are like, oh, my God, they're terrified. But And a grapefruit-sized black hole, I think, has the same mass as, like, Jupiter or maybe even our sun, um, but it's the size of a grapefruit. And because it's a black hole, you can't just, you just see it. You have to see it through mathematical equations and, and things like that. Well, that's the latest I've heard in our solar system. But you're talking about people, like, their lack of interest in space because of the 3D model thing. I I always forget that people don't all, aren't always interested in the same things I'm interested in and therefore they may not have learned it to the extent that I learned it like I was obsessed with space as a kid as soon as I found out there were shows about outer space those were my favorite shows um so we were learning about space in school like everything I learned was hammered into my brain it became like like I know that this is how the solar system is laid out and I know that you look both ways when you cross the street those two things were equally bored into my brain because I was super interested in the solar system. So I have to think about things when I'm, when people are curious about, or, you know, talking about stuff, um, like we were talking about eclipses cause you know, the great American eclipse was just a few years ago or North mm-hmm. American eclipse or whatever it was called and how people weren't understanding exactly what they were. We were having a conversation at a cookout and I, it just blew my mind how nobody really knew exactly what was going on. And so I was like, and I was just like, no, no, like what are y'all talking about? So I got a, I got a light bulb out and held it up on the table and was like, this is what's going on. Okay, so picture my fist as the earth. And so, you know, I'd move the light bulb or my fist around the light bulb. I was like, so what's going on is your fist is going around the light bulb like like the sun. And I, you know, and then I put my other fists going around my other fist like the moon. And as I was doing that, I was like, you know, like you're twisting your fist around each other going around the sun. I was like, this is how the sun blocks it. And they're like, oh, I just never really. And I was like. You have to remind myself that because people are interested in different things, they may not burn those images into their mind. Yeah. Um, that, and it blows my mind when they don't. Cause it, you know, and I'm sure there are things other people know that when I say I don't know, they look at me like, you know, I have horns coming out of my nose. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about when you say those words. Like, <laughs> I remember when I got into pharmacy school, like they were talking about ambulatory care. And I was like, I, I don't know what that means. And everybody was like, what? I was like, I don't, what do you mean? Ambu- like, to amble. Like how you care for people in an ambulance? Like, what do you, what is ambulatory? What are you talking about? So anyway, I have to remind myself of stuff like that. And people think, oh, you're just, the people are just dumb or stupid. It's like, no, they just, maybe they weren't interested in it. So they don't have, they didn't spend hours, you know, burning those images into their brain about things like, and just like the, I found out recently somebody didn't know that the planets were made of gas, like are called gas giants. I was like, well, that's crazy. So I did a huge, I did a huge, like it blew my mind. Someone wouldn't know that. I did a interview or I am an interview. What's it called? Where you ask a lot of people a survey at work and about 50% of the people kind of knew. And, um, well, I would say, I say, I would say 50% knew and the other 50% were like, yeah, they kind of knew what I was talking about, but kind of didn't, but still kind of didn't didn't realize it wasn't like you could land on them and walk on them and like if you had a magic suit you couldn't i guess technically if you had a magic suit eventually if you got to the heart of the core Jupiter or saturn yeah the core would be uh, something it would be some kind of li- at least liquid metal or i don't know if it would be solid or not but it yeah like they're just giant clouds basically anyway 
that ties into we were talking about associating IQ with curiosity and it's not always that it's just people just are interested in different things for whatever reason. And I don't know what drives that. That's, that's even interesting to me. What drives someone to be interested in this versus that? I don't know that either. Uh, curiosity being part of its definition was a desire. And then, you know, we, when we look at what we are all made of and we try to make it simple, like the pea plants were and the basic genetics, our genetics is just so diverse. It gets really complicated as to me when you're kind of backtracking that trail. What is responsible for this? Is is this responsible for it solely or is it a combination of that, that, that? You know, there's so many things that are other factors, a part of the personality and things that I, I don't know how easy that would be to isolate. We can find like common things, you know, and then we get lost into that whole thing about what is correlation and equal causation or not. But right. One concern I have, which I've just just kind of popped a light bulb in my head while we've been talking, is in this day of we have every bit of information at our fingertips, what we also have is entertainment at our fingertips. And if there are enough shows for me to keep up with, there's only so many hours in the day. And that it kind of gets into that old uh, analogy with bacteria, like on the skin or whatever, like part of the bacteria, one of its purposes is that it, it just occupies space. So that bad bacteria, can, you know what I mean? And sort of a sim- right. simple yeah. way of looking at skin bacteria. Well, if there's only so many hours in a day and we have that filled with work and family things, and then the entertainment fills up till bedtime, where is there time to actually dig into this masterful piece of all this information? Because we fill it with, Things that might fulfill entertainment needs, but when we're left, when are we left with like, I wonder why the phases of the moon are what they are, and stuff like right. that. Right, right. I had a few people <clears throat> that were, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, different different things going on in their life. But I remember there's, I've had a few people as adults, like in my early twenties, and even here recently, like be amazed that the moon was out when the sun was shining, like during the day. And I'm like, well, have you, in your 40 years of life, you've never noticed the moon out in the daytime? And I think that they probably have, but they just Never stopped to wonder about yeah. it. Right, or it just didn't, they didn't realize it, I guess, or I forgot, I don't, I don't know. But, but yeah, it's, that's all tied together, that what can occupy that space at, that, at certain times. Have you ever seen a 3D model of you know sun earth and all the other planets and our moon in like a the mechanical version of one of those yeah i mean yes anything you can ask about space i've seen <laughs> i have obsessed with wanted it. one of those for a long time because i know that like an actual one yes like you could purchase oh one. like a, i've only seen them at museums and places because i think if you to buy one they're outrageously expensive that's been my hindrance there i've never found one cheaper than two hundred dollars like yeah. you can plug it in and it will go into motion and you'll get to see everything. I know that would, I'm sure there's a million videos, somebody's screaming right now <laughs> that I could watch, you know, 30 minutes of something on YouTube and it would probably answer all this. But going back to what I just said, I have not stopped to make time to put that into my head. So in third grade, we had to make a model of the, of the, um, solar system. Did y'all have to do that? Like you had to go out and buy like the, I don't, you can make it however you it, want it, which is, uh, unfortunate for a lot of reasons because I feel like I can remember most of my whole life, but I do remember this, my third grader having to do that when he was in the third grade, he still has it upstairs. 
all most of the kids, I would see they would put this. They would do it in a box. So they would hang the planets on the inside of a box um, with the sun either in the middle or at the end of the box. Right. And th- those worked, and that's what I was thinking I was going to do because that's what I always had seen. And I was like, well, how can I make like a more realistic 3D model? Luckily, at the time, um, my future stepmother was somewhat of an, an artist, mm-hmm. and she would go to Michael's and places all the time. And I was like, well, how can we put the rings on the planets? And she was like, well, you can just get some of that clear um, whatever it was and put it around the edges of the planet. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And because she was an artist and she wasn't my stepmother yet, like her and my dad were, you know, dating or whatever, um, she, you know, she got, she got interested in it. And my dad always liked space as well, so he got interested in it. So we went, and I don't know how much we spent on foam and paint and sticks and things like to make this model. I made a 3D model of the solar system without hanging them from a box. So what it was was like a... um a styrofoam base, like just a little square, like like a MacBook or something, was the bottom, and it was a cone shape that went up to the sun. The sun was in the middle. It was a giant, the biggest styrofoam ball we could find. We painted that yellow, and then I ran plastic or um, wooden rods, like like you would like uh, I don't know, like uh, like a shish kebab rod right. or something like that. They would come out from the center of the of the um, sun, and I just had several of those. And each one would have two or three planets on it, depending on which planet they were. Um, and I was like, okay, well, and I, you know, I knew what order to put all the planets in, how far out they would go, which one was, you know, in order, and blah blah blah, and which each one would look like. Um, and it got to the point to where we were spending so much time on it, I was never going to be able to finish it. Like before, I had to be at school the next day because, like every kid, you know, hey, I need to b- build a model of the solar system, and it's due tomorrow. So we need to go do it tonight. <laughs> so long story short, it wasn't a hundred percent my idea, but once I knew that there were materials that were attainable, you know, like I never knew what Michael's was. I didn't know there was an uh, an arts and crafts store that had these things. Like I was just picturing using what I could find, you know, like at Kmart back in the day, or you know, what or Ace Hardware, you know, like to make this model. But she knew that. Michael's had things I could, you know, like little, I don't know what the balls are normally used for, but they were perfect little planet ball and they were all <laughs> sizes. So once I got them all together and I told them what I was wanting to do, um, we kind of put it together. So they finished painting them. And like I said, she was an artist. Like she, so the planets were painted almost perfect to what you would find in an encyclopedia or, and they also bought a book, a little, I still had this, this planet's book and she painted them to look just like they did in the, um, pictures and so i got up the next day and it was finished so she finished painting it for me like the planets and stuff right it did not look like a kid painted them <laughs> so i took it to school and i was super proud of it super proud my dad wanted me to take it on the bus and it was way too big and i was like nope this will get broken because of just kids are just kids and maybe somebody will get mad or whatever it'll get broken please take me to school so he took me to school and i brought it in and i was super proud of it i couldn't wait for my teacher to see it and I don't, I don't want to say I was a bad kid, but I, at the time I may have had to be sitting next to the um, teacher's desk when um, we were displaying our models. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember it was the best. I mean, I, to me it was the best. It's the best one I've ever seen to this day. Like she took those clear rings and painted the rings around Saturn. And we even had rings around the planets they had just discovered had rings around them. So you're talking this was 1987 or 8-ish. Right. Maybe eighty nine. So you did. I don't think we even knew that. Basically, all the outer planets have rings. Then, 
And I did not get the highest grade. I did not get, they didn't win the award. Um, nobody looked at mine really because I'm out. One of the three reasons I think they didn't see mine because I was over by the teacher's desk. Because what we did was everybody would come around during class and you'd look at everybody else's and the other classes would come in and look at everybody's models. And I'm pretty sure the teachers thought that um, my mom just made it for me and none of it was my idea, which she did paint them and they did look incredible. And because I was maybe being bad that week and had to sit next to the teacher, it definitely looked like I just cheated and somebody had made it for me. And I remember being so disappointed because the whole thing, once I learned about the, um, the, 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 the availability of the products to make it, it was my idea to do it that way. But the final product looked like something that our, an adult artist made because she kind of did, you know what I mean? Like painted them for me. And I was That's always disappointed with that. I was upset. I kept that model forever until it was so big it ended up, you know, getting broken over and over. And I remember finally throwing it. Off. I still remember the smell, of the paint on that foam. Like it's, it made my room smell like that for years. Like you could still go over to the model and kind of smell the paint on them. <laughs> Maybe that's what's wrong with me. The paint scent going off. Curiosity. It's it's never. I'll say outside of me being just exhausted physically or mentally, I don't know that it ever shuts off. And even sometimes, uh, not out, of, not in those examples, but when I'm just trying to go to sleep, I can't. Just wondering, I can't make my mind shut off. I don't necessarily have like sleep problems, other than going to sleep. If I cannot turn off the curiosity machine, I know not to pick the phone up or the tablet or whatever because I will mm-hmm. end up in a rabbit hole that just keeps going and going and going. And here I am. It's like three hours. You've been researching the phases of the moon. You you got to shut this off. <laughs> well it can I can sit and wonder about things and that will make me go to sleep and then I'll have a dream about being on Voyager 2 or something and <laughs> running into extraterrestrial you know so maybe it's not a good idea to think about those things or it could be about anything so it doesn't I don't find it keeps me up but it definitely is going a lot like I always wonder this and I always wonder that and then you have to be able to control it as well because you were saying or you had mentioned and I had read as well like it can be a um a leader, a leading cause in, in ADHD, perhaps. And you do have to realize, especially when you're at work or trying to get something done at home, um, okay, you can only wonder about this for, for so many minutes before, okay, now you're officially off task. Right. And you need to get your other stuff done. And, yeah, it would be interesting to be able to learn this mechanism and this, you know, side effect and help every person on earth that's on this. But at some point, you have to do it on your own time. And then by the time that time comes around, I'm back to wanting to know where Voyager 2 is at in the solar system and not really interested in that anymore. There was a study done in 2012, or at least a paper or something. There's uh, authors are Bonovitz, Van Schneidel, Friel, and Schultz. It says uh, in 2012. Those guys. Yeah. Uh, there's one statement that I gleaned out of this, just to copy and paste something in for what we're talking about. It says, if, cur- uh, if curiosity aims to reduce uncertainty in the world, we would expect learners to exhibit increased curiosity to stimuli in the world that they do not understand. I don't want to get too wrapped up in their stuff because it's not as very flowy talk, but that same idea and that reducing uncertainty, I think that's where it kind of uh, grabs a hold of or is parallel to or something to anxiety. So if you are an anxious person, it probably means you have, there's an element of something in your life or in life in general that is uh, uncertain. And 
I don't know if this becomes that sort of chicken and egg thing. I don't know if your curiosity is what manifests that in you or if those are two separate things and one just kind of goes with the other. But it is a tool that if you are uncertain about things and you don't have the paralysis that sometimes goes along with that, curiosity will kind of dash that. Like if you are uncertain about, I can't, I failed to think of an example right now, then you can, you know, you, you'll kind of chew on it for a while. And then you're like, well, let's just look into that and see what that really is and kind of unravel the ball of whatever it is. And you may not necessarily, you know, vanquish the uncertainty you have, but you've at least educated yourself more about whatever that was. Whereas maybe people who aren't curious don't live with any levels of uncertainty. I don't know. I'm not one of those to say. So, I mean, that would just say, like what you were saying, the worrying goes hand in hand with it. And this is also probably back from, I combed through a handful of articles and there were some about like child development and how we grow as humans that, you know, as a baby on into a little person, you, it is an uncertain world to some degree. And some people are more curious than others, even from birth. And maybe the ones that are pushing boundaries and things, they're curious about things because of the uncertainty of it. Again, it's hard to communicate with anybody of those ages. So it's really hard to ascertain that information. Right. The same with animals. There was questions in some of the articles about, well, are animals curious? And that, that got me to thinking about observation of animals. And you see how the ones we're around a lot, whether it be dogs and cats or whatever. And I don't know if that's genuine, if it's the same thing as curiosity or if it's just part of a you know program that they're running of instincts where right. it's just sniff everything, you know, like a rat or a dog. And, you know, you find out something scratches you or it doesn't. Right. Well, I had read that some of the part of the problem with you know, understanding curiosity and furthering the science and and psychology of it um, is because people get in – they more tend to get bogged down in the definition of is this curiosity or is that curiosity, what is and what isn't. It's hurting understanding it more because they're too worried about arguing about what is and what isn't and just maybe accept it for face value. There are some things you have to say like – if you want, like, you're curious about if you knew the outcome of a fight, let's say you wanted to bet on, you want to know the answer or who was going to win. You're curious about that, so you can put the right kind of bet. I get you could say that's not genuine curiosity because you're not trying to learn a, a concept or you're just wanting to learn something for immediate gratification. But they were arguing that even curiosity maybe is even seen in like basic roundworms, and, and curiosity is seen in animals like. Um, it's it's just a thing that I think all creatures, at least um, sentient sentient creatures possess. And maybe, um, maybe just a base level, does, and then we can move forward. Right, and a base level of learning anything would you know just even how to walk or whatever you know animals' version of mobility is that maybe curiosity is what pushes that. I don't know, you know. Uh, it was used to explain that you know why the uh, alligator or crocodile or bird burst out of the egg was you know they they're running on a program and their program says to do this at this point when they develop enough that they're mature enough to be out of that uh, yolk sack and away from that they burst out and move into the world but I don't know that there's a way we'll ever know maybe it's curiosity like I wonder if there's anything outside there and next thing you know you burst out of a shell right right. What are you the most curious about in your life currently? Not necessarily of mm. life things, but you seem to have your your 
chunk of space pretty well figured out, at least based on the data yeah, that you want to consume. I still want to learn more about it. I still could. I could. I could learn. I could watch. It just depends on what catches my um, fancy at the moment. I mean, you could go and learn. I could. You could learn about just watch videos on Jupiter until the day ended. There's probably a thousand just on one planet, and then just solar system versus that solar system, and then. I like watching future models of like the galaxies coming together and mathematically, even though like I think it's Andromeda, like if you know, the two gal- galaxies were to pass th- through each other, even though there's so much mass, like there would almost be no collision. Like there would be collisions, but there's we're so far apart that you might not necessarily be any collisions between like uh, bodies in space. I mean, there would be, but it wouldn't be like you would imagine. Like it would just be destruction. Now it would change the, the, the galaxies, you know, forever, and whether it would disrupt our um, orbit around the sun, I don't, I don't know for sure. But I could watch anything about space at any time. But I'm curious about all kinds of stuff. Like, um, I mean, I like just stuff on Earth in general. Like, I like learning about just animals and planets and the, the oceans and you know anything really. Like, there's there's not a whole lot of things that I'm just like, eh, I don't want to learn about that. Um, I don't know. Now, I'm not I sure. The, I don't have anything super fancy right now. Uh, I would say categorically I was probably been more into similar things in, that you mentioned by specific or general category. And the thing that I would have been least interested in would be maybe there are times that people were curious about things that I just didn't catch on to. By that I mean they're not wondering about what wire is that on the top of that telephone pole and why are those insulated and those not? Have you ever had that thought? Right. Like your electricity lines are not insulated. That seems like an incredible, dangerous thing. And then I realized. <laughs> I don't think most people know that. I bet 90% be of people don't know it. Right. And the fact that the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the only thing that's going to be on those poles insulated are your cable, internet, and or communication lines, right. in other words. Right. And there's reasons, I'm sure, for that. that. I don't know. Like, like you wanting to fly? What was it? Oh, I was just uh, saying, just there's reasons works. for that insulation on those communication lines that are probably more of a requirement than, say, the power lines. Just the idea of how it works, because like, I like to think that it's nice, neat, and orderly, which there is some of that to it, but it is a lot more heavily dependent on the pilot than I, I originally imagined. Like, especially when you're talking about non-commercial flights. Like, yeah, you file a report, but it's really kind of on the honor system, t- to an extent, like... Yeah, you say you're going here and you're going there, and but it's not like you know. Okay, if this pilot decides they're not going to go there, like they're not going to get pulled over by the sky police, you know. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, if they land, if they go somewhere else and land, depending on what they do, if they don't go, if they, I mean, yeah, you have to check in with the flight controllers and all. You have to do all of that, but it's, I mean, that's all you got to do. Like, and it's, it's. I mean, yeah, if you do something wrong or bad, like you may lose your pilot's license, which really just means you wouldn't be able to take off at a airport. Um, which, you know, is where most planes are. So, you know, we're pretty safe from that. But I was just always interested in how it works and what would happen, you know, if you ran out of fuel and how much fuel do you have. And just, you know, just it just was peaking my – because I live near an airport, um, which sometimes maybe you can hear in So you're getting a reminder of it all the time. Yeah, constantly. And I'm always, I'm always wondering. Like, I hear them taking off and, like, all of a sudden it sounds like their engine's cut out. And I think they do sometimes. Or when they're coming in for a landing, like, you can hear them – Turn into, and then when I say an airport, it's like a municipal, so it's mostly like Cessnas, though we do have like some G5s and some other private jets take off every now and then. Um, but mostly it's it's like prop planes like Cessnas and whatever else there is besides Cessnas because I don't really know. 
cub whatever's <laughs> um the ones that are always in Alaska. I think those are called cub something. Yes. I can't remember. Um so I don't know, just I was getting into that for a while, just anything, just something pops up. I was interested in um I don't know if it's, you call it horticulture, but just plants in general. I planted some plants, and I wanted to figure out the best way to make them grow the fastest as possible. And so you get into that, and then you watch all these videos educating you. I'm like, well, crap, I made the wrong decision on picking these plants. Are these more like different. decorative or like fruit Who trees? Knows? Or are you just planting whatever? Uh, no. I was planting to trying to make a, um, a, a barrier, like a shield um, to a privacy screen, if you ah, will, gotcha. from the neighbor's. So I did some um, emerald green arborvitae, and I was I planned on doing some other bushes in between them, but I don't know if I ever will or not. It, ooh, planting plants is a lot of work. That's why they have people who do that for a living. <laughs> yes, I think that was the same tree that I concluded at once upon a time. I was looking for a barrier, like a visual barrier, and uh, that was the same tree I think I had come to the conclusion of was that uh, one that you've planted. Does it grow pretty quickly? relatively quick to most plants but as far as like uh super fast no it doesn't grow as fast as a um oh what are the ones everybody gets the other uh green plant it doesn't it after it gets established so after it's been in the ground a year to two years you might get a foot a year out of it that seems um, like a pretty good achievement it's pretty quick but like bradford pears oh, or yeah. Um, what else is there? I can't think of what they're called. They're pretty plants. They're evergreens. They look like pine trees. The, the, I know what they are. They're just, I can see them in my neighbor's house right now. The, 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 what they're called is escaping me, but you'll get several feet a year out of them. And then you can get Thuja green giants, which are another version of, uh, the emerald, emerald, um, what I just said, arborvitae, but they're bigger. They're kind of Hershey kiss shaped and they grow fast and huge. Um, but they're just not, I don't know. They're not as pretty. Um, I, and I don't want one with that large of a base, like you're saying, that Hershey Kiss. I like more mm-hmm. of the skinnier cone. These, yeah, these don't get much bigger than four feet across, and but they'll get up to 15 or 20 feet high, which is perfect. So I, I don't know if I'll be in this house forever, but somebody will enjoy them in 15 years. <laughs> Maybe we're still here, and we'll have a nice privacy screen. Maybe we won't. Did you find any tendencies that in any of the stuff you read about as far as other things about people's personalities or satisfaction in life. Um, one of the uh, articles I read as a psychologist, I think his name is Evan Schaefer. that's talked about the trait curious, uh, that those people tend to delve deeply into the subject that they enjoy or just into subjects that, especially the ones that grab their attention and that they, uh, not only do they really go all into it, but they learn about themselves in the same process. And so there's like a level of satisfaction. I'm not going to say that other non-curious people don't have same satisfaction, but there's a higher level of satisfaction. Things are more satisfying to people that are more curious. And I don't know if that's because you're learning something or solving something or if that just feeding that curiosity is what creates that satisfaction within them. I didn't see anything about that in particular, but that does – that does make me think of something else. Like, you know, some people come across as maybe as know-it-alls about different things or always have an answer about this, that. And I think some people, when they offer up an answer, maybe they know or maybe they don't. Maybe they're just guessing based on logic. But when something piques my curiosity, I will um, 
investigate it and research it until I have found all the answers until if, if it's, you know, that interesting to me until I feel like I have mastered the, the subject. Um, and so talking, talking about, you know, just different people and, and, and curiosity, I have had people ask me about like a saltwater system versus chlorine for your swimming pool. And like, won't you just get a chlorine? Like everybody thinks that just a salt system is superior. Like it's just this magical thing for a swimming pool. You get a salt system. Why don't you do that? Like, well, there's pros and cons to each of them. And then I, so I've researched it all. and I know all about, you know, which one's best for this. Why does it do that? At the end of the day, just to, just to have some context, the salt system in a swimming pool, all it does is create chlorine by breaking up sodium chloride, which is what salt is. Mm-hmm. It just runs an electric current across the salt that's in the, and it breaks apart the um, bond between the sodium and the chloride. And then you have chlorine items that way. Whereas if you don't have a salt system, you're just adding chlorine with tablets. Right. So you're still adding chlorine. You're just adding sodium chloride. Um, so you're at the end of the day, you're still having chlorine in your pool to, to cure bacteria and so on and so forth. It's just different ways of doing it. How do you want to get that chlorine? You can just add salt, and then electricity will create the chlorine for you, or you can just add chlorine tablets. And But anyway, people ask you, don't want to do that. And like, well, you have this, that, and the other. And then by the time you you get halfway through describing it, they've lost their – like either they're starting to talk about something else before you even finish. It's like, well, <laughs> so you weren't as curious about it. You just – you know, you ask a question. and So it's interesting how many people like are, are briefly interested in something, but then they're only interested. They only want the one sentence answer. And it's like, well, you can't really answer that, that, that in one sentence. That and, illustrates yeah. the, one of the points and maybe a better way to describe quote, the lesser curious are less engaged or the disengaged, I think is the way that Schaefer put it. So curious kind of plays a role into being more engaged in life or thought processes or things, whereas the lesser of that, it, like you just illustrated, they're just not as engaged. Right. Or they just want to know, you know, is it really better? And, it, you know, he said it is better. She said it's not, you know, exactly. Like they're interested, but not as interested, maybe. Have you swam in a saltwater pool? Yeah. I, I would say most of us have at some point. Um, you can tell a difference. I will sure. say like from they a are salty. Uh, lap swimmer point of view. Uh, They're softer. They sure. And it, it just felt better. And it tended to have more clarity. Now, that may be just because of the, you know, comparing this one pool to this one other pool, whereas mm-hmm. the other one, the particular one I'm thinking of, was a community pool that was just standard chlorine set up, whereas the other newer community center had a saltwater pool. It was, it seemed to be more clear and Again, this may just get into who's controlling what. I tended to have less eye issues in the saltwater one. And that may have been because somebody didn't know what they were doing in the giant chemistry lab of the other one. Right. Well, saltwater, the reason why people think it's easier is because you have a computer controlling how it, what the chlorine content is going to be. Mm-hmm. It, it detects like how much chlorine gotcha. is in the water. And then when it thinks it needs more, it just runs that current across something. And this is all basic. Like right. you're not going to get electrocuted being in a saltwater pool, but it runs that current. And then it, so it creates chlorine as it needs it. Whereas chlorine pool, you are constantly adding chlorine based on how much you think it needs based on your experience or if you have a chlorinator, but it's all, it's just a, a plastic tube. You put chlorine in and the rate of water, and there's a hundred other things that affect how fast that chlorine tablet dissolves. So it's there's much more room for error and, until you have experience at it in a chlorine pool. Whereas a salt pool, you can kind of it's, it is kind of like sit in and forget it. But if you don't add salt, then you're still gonna. It's right. just like not adding chlorine. Right. But as long as you have enough salt in it, the, the computer will create 
or the machine or whatever it is, the system will create the chlorine that it needs based on what you, if you've programmed it correctly. It's, it's like an automatic thing. In this same article, there was another uh, psychologist or psychiatrist quoted in that people who exhibit high levels of curiosity were found to experience higher levels of satisfaction with life, kind of what I was saying, than their more disengaged peers, while less curious seem to derive more pleasure from hedonistic things, behaviors such as sex and drinking. Curious people report hmm. finding a greater sense of meaning in life, which is a better predictor of sustainable, lasting happiness. And further in the article, this is kind of where I wanted to tee off into. Um, you said less curious people. What did that last part say? The ones who are more into the uh, less curious people derive more of their pleasure from the hedonistic behavior such as sex and drinking versus the curious people who find more satisfaction in other things of life and just um, that their happiness is more sustainable because they're not delving into those type uh, vices, gotcha. if you will. Right. You don't have a vice to be happy. Right. Just learning things and just figuring stuff out is, makes you content enough, I guess. Okay. Right. Another sort of a, I guess you would put it as a downside, depending on the level at which you pursued this. The uh, double-edged sword of curiosity is the uh, same adventurous impulse also drives people into uh, risky or dangerous activities such as skydiving and experiencing yep. psychotropic drugs and all these other things that they listed as examples. So Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, your your person that you're thinking of that just goes through life and doesn't question anything, they're not varying off too many trails, I would imagine. That they're just, you know, content checking all the boxes of existence and probably don't push in I'd imagine they don't push a lot of boundaries either. At least the people in my mind I'm thinking of as examples. Uh this all I think that seems to be true. I mean, my experience as well. The, the more curious people are more out on the edge in a general sense. At least that's – I've come to that same conclusion. Um, a strong – this is one last little quote I want to include. A strong sense of curiosity is a stable trait that you either have or you don't. But just because you don't have it doesn't mean you're necessarily at a loss. There are ways that you can cultivate it. And they talk about different exercises and things that one can do to kind of – manifest or stir up curiosity within yourself hmm. so there's like that's like to encourage it they have like exercise or something an exercise you can do yeah they talk about um how to flex your curiosity muscle um just different oh, okay different ways to look at life i guess different you know genuine things like that well, that's interesting. Or, I mean, or just reframe a boring situation instead of looking at it from the exact same point of view. Kind of take a diff- different angle at it, if you will. I mean, if if like work is boring for you, example, which definitely you and I would not attest to that. You could <laughs> maybe look at the ways that you're doing everything, or and just I, the take home that I got was that vary the things that you do. And if there's things that could be done different ways, in other like for example, in some of these articles, they talked about how a non-curious person or the less engaged probably takes the same way to work all the time. Well, if you're like, oh man, I've read this or heard this, and on, I don't think I'm that curious, and maybe worried about being boring or something. Plan ahead of time because we got covered this in the late episode, and maybe take a different drive to work. Or home, yeah. maybe, where it's not maybe a time constraint. Take a different drive home. You might see, you know, seeing different things and having a different view is kind yeah, of a, so you can just definitely foster translate. You just, you just hit something that translates to me 100%. I love taking the scenic route or going away 
that I've never went or taking an alternate highway or go this to that and the other. And I do know some people, the same, same people I always think of when I think of these things that, because they intrigue me, their, their, their lack of curiosity or their lack of wanting to try new things. Like they only take the interstate, you know, they only take the four lane highway. They only take, you know, they only go certain ways. They don't, like, aren't you interested in what this back row, like the things you might see and, you know, just experience life just a little differently by going those ways? And aren't you curious as to what might be there and what you might find? And who knows? I mean, I don't know how many fishing holes and creeks and rivers I've found that I can kayak just by taking the back road, you know, just by going a different way. And how much better, like, I have to commute, or not commute, but to go see family. Um, I have about a two-hour drive for the closest closest relatives and I no longer take the interstate. I always go the back way now or a version of a back way and it has improved my quality of life at least when I'm driving to go see them tenfold now. Like now it's not oh god, I got to get on that interstate and deal with these people and I don't know why people can't drive slow in the right lane and stay out of the left. Like I don't have to worry about that anymore <laughs> when I go the the new way that I have found and and the only reason why I found it was cuz I was like, well there was a problem. I was like, well, I wonder what's out this road and let's just go this way. And I know you can get from this place to that place by somehow. So let's go there and then go there. Right. And sure enough, it's, it's, um, helped my quality of life tremendously. I mean, you say, well, just don't go visit your family. Like, well, I mean, I guess you could do that. That might improve your quality of life depending on your relationship with them. But this new way definitely or this alternate way it's something I've found just by being curious and taking the back road, especially, and you know, also, obviously, I have a motorcycle, which we've talked about before, and so taking the back road is just part of having a bike, um, and maybe having a bike and being um, adventurous is just, is just part of, cur- being adventurous itself, maybe, is being a part, is partly being curious. Right. Um, so all that, maybe all that's hand in hand. And, and if you aren't going to buy a motorcycle or skydive, you're just going to live a normal ho-hum life. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but just like, again, kind of thinking, ah, maybe I'm a little dull. Another thing is talk to somebody that you normally wouldn't talk to. Like make it mm-hmm. a challenge inside your head to be in a waiting room and a line and somewhere. And maybe you just never talk to anybody or maybe you always talk to somebody who looks to be about your age, step out of that. Do something different than you already do is kind of the generic thing that I'm saying here, which is what a lot of they, mm-hmm. they're fostering. That, and that this other little quote about being curious that kind of fosters good things, it says, in curious people, there is internal growth that takes place regardless of the outcome. So you might find that you don't always meet like the coolest guy in the grocery line or lady with the most interesting story, <laughs> but there's there's an element of internal growth that happens with that. And man, anything I can do to further my own growth, I, I that's something I'm just curious about. That was something I was going to say a while ago. Is I earlier in life would have been more fascinated by hard science things or animals or whatever, and just never really thought much about psychology outside of the basics of it and things like that that may relate to medical things but just Mm -hmm. the question that has runs around my mind all the time now is why do people do what they do and that Mm -hmm. could pertain to anything and i literally take every day like it's an experiment and not every person of all my days because a lot of them are familiar but even within them, I don't even let that get stale. I'll even be like, well, why did my kids say this or that about this? Or why do they not want to do that anymore where they used to want to do that? And as this says, 
you may not, the outcome may not be like the answer. You may not get the answer to your question, but you get, there's growth that goes with all this process of just going through with those things. So, uh, I mean, it, there's, I, I quote the great Eddie, you're only hurting yourself by not trying. Nope. <laughs> Did you say then, reference to some food I don't want to eat, but in life <laughs> in general? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course, I could say the other side of that coin is I, I'm always wondering, okay, why does this person drive slow in the left lane? And then, like, you, the problem is sometimes you'll find an answer and you want to share that answer with that person and everyone else, and they may not want to hear the answer just because you were interested in it. And you want to help their behavior doesn't mean they want to. So then you got to learn how to deal with that. <laughs> so it could be an added. It would be really, stressor, but still an additional grind to me if you found the same person, which then it may just boils down to they're not comfortable driving X Y Z speed. But I think every time you come across this, it is a random car that you're ne- you've never seen before and you'll never see again. And my answer to that is they're busy doing something. Their mind is not on getting from here to there. They're, you know, whether they've had some kind of strife in their life or personal right. tragedy or they're tr- trying to cram more in for some business thing they're about to, you know, any number of things that has their brain occupied mm-hmm. is probably the reason. But there's also probably, there's always that other question mark that I've boiled down to it's this, this, or this. And then I always say plus one, at least plus one. Because so many times in life, trying to figure somebody out or something, piggybacking what I just said, the physical sciences of the world, and now I'm just fascinated with the people. I always consider I don't have the but one vantage point, and that's me. And then when you have these kind of conversations with other people, that's when I have learned things about different optics. And I know I've said this once before, and it's just one of those things that's imprinted on me so strongly, and that was that goofy one of the earliest memes and meme world started going around of the six panels and this is what you think of you whether it be your hobby your job oh, yeah, your job yeah. or whatever and then it had what your spouse thinks of you what your parents think of you what your friends and every one of them was some variation of whatever it was uh up or down positively or negatively but there was a bigger thing that that told me that those things that they see you as yeah it was a funny meme but that is literally what they see because of their experiences, their life, and their vantage point. And right. to learn that about yourself is like, oh, that—that that is how they view me, whatever that thing may be. It may be good and it may be bad, but that was invaluable to me. What do you do? I mean, that's a whole other conversation, I guess, or a whole other show. But <laughs> what can you do to even change that? I don't know. But I do know that. you got to be aware of it first. Being all that that you said, you could still do all that in the right lane. <laughs> you don't have to do it in the left lane. <laughs> I imagine there might be a point in time where you've gotten busy and forgot where you were at, but Mm-mm. maybe not. Not in the left lane. <laughs> you were so busy you weren't aware of it. There's been a very few times where I think I have unreasonably encumbered others' ability to whether shop in a store by standing in the middle of the aisle or drive slow in the left lane because I try to be aware of myself all of, all of the time. Maybe because... I see that other people aren't. Maybe it's just a peeve of mine where I try to be that way. No, it, it does happen from time to time, I'm sure, but not for very long periods of time, like an hour when you're behind somebody in the left lane on the interstate. <laughs> and they don't get over, and they say 1,500 cars behind them. I just don't. Anyway, I don't want to turn to another gripe fest. I'm just curious as to how they can't see it. I, I don't it, 
my curiosity won't end. I don't know about yours. <laughs> I don't think there's this episode will never end because curiosity will never. Well, end. that's probably. I don't know that I'm really uh, have enough to go on to make it a two parter. So, anything you're curious about about I'd like curiosity? To know why? I'd like to know well about curiosity. No, not, I mean endless. Yeah, endless. I would like to know why Skype works sometimes and sometimes <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> I am aware of what is the stimuli to your curiosity for sure. <laughs> I can hear most of what you're saying. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how to fix that. And unfortunately, to my knowledge for this top medium, it is the standard go-to. Maybe, uh, ooh, I don't want to ruffle some feathers, but yet I do. Maybe if uh, internet was a commodity and everybody did have a 100 megabyte, however you get that speed instead of Xfinity and AT&T running the world as far as internet goes. Mm. You, so you just lost 15 you, subscribers. You're not. To, <laughs> so maybe you're not a fan of that actually being privatized? It is now. I just know that... Um, Usually private business, well, I don't want to get into a political thing, but when the free market does control private things, then they work. But it's just like health insurance and a lot of other things that are are private, but yet there is no free market for it. Then it doesn't seem to, the free market doesn't drive it, then it doesn't seem to benefit. And I know people who live in these towns that have their electric power board or whoever owns their internet connection are far superior to my AT&T or lousy Xfinity that's uh, available where I live. So right. we'll just end that there. It has nothing to do with curiosity, and now everybody's angry, and they're going to go. Maybe they'll go look up that. <laughs> maybe they'll broaden their horizons on Internet speed and connection. So if, there, if you asked me any questions and I didn't answer, it's because I couldn't hear what you were asking. <laughs> I tried to work around that best I could. There were there were, there were moments where uh, some of your space exploration comments kind of chirped in and out, but... I don't think anything was too crucial. I'm a space idiot, but I was still able to follow most of that. Mm. So everybody bear with us. We apologize if it sounded strange at times. Our connection is not good today, that's for sure. No. And if you didn't know, we're not in the same room, which I'm pretty sure we've said that before. No. That that one did not work very well. It created too much echo, which is why it's the hidden episode and may <laughs> may remain that way for a while because I, I, I don't know that I can live with producing something that sounded that bad. Yeah, but I drove so far, and I didn't even go the back way. <laughs> uh, take home, my take-home message for this would be, it kind of parallels back to that sort of stepping out thing. Um, once uh, famous, at least within my little local world, gentleman who influenced my life greatly, one of his many uh, quotes were to be interested, don't or don't not, try not to be interesting. In other words, right. focus on the other person when it's just you and somebody else. And if you think about any time anybody's ever done that to you, I can recall a time, a uh, gentleman that I met and have become Facebook friends, and he just lives in the town next door, but I never had met him, and I don't know, we probably have common links within social media, but I had a, like a windbreaker on that had some Iron Man logo or something to do with a triathlon on it, and we were just at the same place getting an oil change. And... I just mind my P's and Q's everywhere because I'm the guy that I was talking about earlier, like say something, talk to somebody. And this guy was, uh, you know, look, normal looking business guy, if you will. And I'm just in there, you know, watching whatever's on the television or reading, waiting for my turn. And he says, you know, starts up a conversation about where'd you do that race or how many Ironmans you done? 
And I come to find out this guy was in one of the original Iron Man, mm. like way back in its origin. <laughs> and, I, you know, we've carried on conversations uh, via the, you know, social media since then. And you just never know when you're going to meet somebody that's really interesting or maybe have some connection to your family or whatever. You just have to step out there. So be yep. be interested, not interesting. I try to do that as well. When people come up, I'll say, oh, are you a member of that or whatever they're wearing on their shirt? Sometimes it's, yeah, or sometimes it's like, no, my aunt bought this at a yard sale. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, okay, that's really weird that you're wearing a small university band shirt and you can't explain <laughs> it. That's weird, but okay. But most of the time it's something, you know, leads to something good. Right. So. Well, I'm curious as what the um, – Working from home, wife is doing for lunch in there because I hear her stirring. Well, so I'm I, have going to t- go I think I have two enjoy. two hungry kids who are probably ready to claw at the door to the lab here to find out what <laughs> I'm going to provide for lunch. Yep, I would say it's getting late for that, and they may have already. And you may to your horror go in there and uh, <laughs> all the granola bars like, are gone, <laughs> <laughs> or like the stove has got pancakes cooking and. Mm. <laughs> Then pancake lunch that that could be true all right hmm, that makes me i may do dinner for bur- for or breakfast for dinner tonight that's that always a good option at my house yeah well here's to it i'll talk to you next all time. right we'll see you then later seen a bunch of run down new horse towns where the church is the backbone loves in the bow and the five-string melodies grooving With the farmland rows where the roots run deep Beyond the noise of the busy streets Where the songs of the south are soothing When I hear the front porch picking down home rhythm ringing out I don't run from banjo music